0: Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. With the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know, maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.
1: Powered by Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Uh, Welcome back to the Backside Groundballs Podcast. Before we get into this episode, I do want to talk about something that's a pretty big deal for us. Uh, it seems like it's going to be finalized in the next couple of days. And I kind of wanted to broach the topic and, and get it out there in the public. But we are officially partnering with BetterHelp. Um, BetterHelp is one of the leading Mental health services out there, and it's a hundred percent online. We will start to hear our ad reads at the beginning of each podcast, and you know the reason I wanted to broach the topic was just because most importantly, I want to give Dan and myself an opportunity to talk in depth about how important it is to have a resource similar to BetterHelp in partnership with our podcast because that's something we're extremely passionate about. Mental health, especially with the populations that we've worked with, is probably the most under-talked about thing, quite frankly. Uh, The majority of college-age males do not feel comfortable to express themselves, feel comfortable to talk to somebody about mental health. And through our time as coaches, we were lucky enough to be a resource for a lot of guys, and now we can at least use BetterHelp as a resource for any listeners to this podcast, male or female. Email, uh young or old anybody who feels like they need the help of somebody um that's 100 percent online you can text you can call at any time it's unlimited services and and super excited so dan obviously i kind of caught you off guard here i kind of thought of it as the intro hit but um how are you feeling with the partnership with better help and, and how much does that excite you
0: excited uh you know i think it's a great resource and um We've obviously mentioned before on here that there's a mental health epidemic in our country. Um, human beings are the most complex things in the world. And um, no matter what walk of life you come from, who you are, whatever your chemistry is, you know, people struggle with it, even if it's not quite severe. And BetterHelp is a great resource and tool to just be able to talk to someone and feel like you have someone in your corner because there's nothing nothing worse than feeling like you're alone and being lonely and and being tied up in in your mentals right um and obviously we talk about baseball that's what we do on this podcast and and baseball is one of the most mentally rigorous (laughs) games because it'll chew you up and spit you out um just because there's so much out of your control in the game of baseball and then you look at life and there's so much out of your control in life and so much of it has to do with your perspective on things i mean i know i i kind of joke to you obviously not on air but like uh off air about how much just the weather affects me mentally and like that's it's just a perspective thing right but that's how uh how fragile sometimes you can i don't want to say fragile because it's not like weak it's normal like that's how hard mentality can be in in dealing with your mental state um it's just like oh it's like today it's miserable it's raining i don't want to do anything like i feel sluggish like i was out of the house this morning and i didn't want to be like i I got home and i was like i don't want to leave again like just something like that if it was sunny and nice out then, then you have a pep in your step and you're more motivated to get stuff done so even simple stuff but obviously everyone goes through um challenging times mentally and and um whether it's just because something's going on with you whether you're you're changing or there's changes around you or you're going through some adversity in life and, um, again, to feel like you're not alone in that um, is, I think one of the keys to being able to overcome it and no one's alone out there, right? Like everybody's going through stuff. Like I know, um, especially in the social media age, which to me is why I think that mental health has, um, seemingly gotten worse and why I say there's an epidemic of it, especially with, Um, younger people is because social media, you go on social media and people's lives look amazing, but those people lives you see on social media are fake, like straight up. Like that's not reality. You know, no one posts when they're having a terrible, you know what I mean? Like no one posts the crappy parts of their lives on social media. You post the great things, right? You see all these influencers out there who are doing all this stupid stuff or just your friends and who are doing, you know, on vacation or doing whatever. And it's like, yeah, their lives look way better than yours because at that time you're sitting at home not doing those things and so you know you start to compare yourself to other things and comparisons the, th- the thief of joy so it's important and i'm super excited to partner with better help who have helped a ton of people and and um hopefully can con- continue to do so and if there's anyone out there who listens to us who is in a bad way you know obviously you and i are here for you and uh help can be there for you um through us so it's awesome
1: Yeah. And, and one of the cool things about BetterHelp that I like a lot is the fact that it is obviously a hundred percent online. I know hit close, hits close to home a little bit here is, you know, obviously I interact with a lot of people who are medical students and, you know, when you have somebody who's in your corner and, and they're not, they're only available by appointment necessarily. You have weeks between opportunities to see him better help offers that like hey like you said like I, I can't say like i'm gonna be in a bad way on saturday but in a fine way on monday you don't know. And being able to have somebody like BetterHelp who you're able to reach out through text, we're kind of able to schedule based around how you're feeling rather than based around what everybody's schedule feels like and everybody, you know, your therapist schedule could be filled and your schedule could be filled and it just lines up and you could be in a good state on Monday and then a bad state on Thursday and you really feel like you need that extra help. The other thing that I like about it as well is that it's, they have a questionnaire for you uh, that you're able to go through and fill out so that they can make sure they link you with the perfect therapist for you and your needs. Uh, So obviously there's a ton of perks for better help and we're super excited to be able to use them and use their brand to hopefully help, you know, even if it was just one person uh, get the help they need and and feel like they're in a better place mentally, we 100% want to be the spokespeople for that. So uh, just a little bit to kind of get in detail of obviously where we're heading um, and, and and obviously, that's something we're very excited about is to is to have that partnership with BetterHelp. But more into baseball, uh, obviously, that's a that's a deep topic, and and we'll probably have plenty of episodes on mental health and, and baseball and its connection to the game and sports and everything of that nature. But uh, we were obviously down in Columbia, South Carolina, this past weekend for just, I mean, what a time! I mean, I know Tennessee's coming to. Columbia in mid-May, and I was looking at the schedule. Florida's coming in two weeks, but I don't think I could have a quick turnaround to get back down there that quickly. But Tennessee in mid-May, and and I'm starting to feel like it might be even just for one game down and back, it might be worth it uh, Friday night to get down there. The environment was electric. The ballpark is gorgeous. South Carolina plays just a phenomenal brand of baseball that we both felt was very entertaining. And obviously, LSU is... Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, Trey Morgan. The list goes on and on, and and it was just a lot of fun. So, Dan, before we get into exactly what happened during each of the game and kind of give our perspective on it, what was your takeaway with the hospitality in Columbia and how how fun it was to just be there for two ball games?
0: What a great place! What a great time! It was it was incredible. I mean, Founders is. Founders park is gorgeous. Um, the environment there, like you said, Friday night was absolutely electric. There was a lightning delay for like an hour and 10 minutes, which unfortunately chased both starting pitchers and like the atmosphere didn't change a bit. Like everyone waited it out. Um, they probably had some adult beverages flowing during the delay, which helped. And it was just, it was awesome. I mean, it was great. People, people are so knowledgeable. They're so passionate. They're friendly. I mean, me and you were obviously unbiased, um, spectators and the people there that we met and, and got to talk to and just uh, got to be around. It was it was a blast. And LSU travels well, which added a little bit, you know, because they had their pocket of fans there. And look, um, those game cops were ready to play. And it was, I mean, it was perfect. The accommodations were great. And um, it was like a flawless two-day trip for us. I mean, we were gone for probably like 28 hours and it was like perfect. It was a perfect 28-hour. Yeah. Like everything worked out great um right down to the fact that they had to move those games up so we saw a a matinee on friday and like it's a friday noon start and i know it was good friday so a lot of people didn't have class or school or work but like that place was still packed yesterday (laughs) like it was it was awesome man like the environment was still great yesterday uh it, it was it was a blast i mean everything was terrific and uh they should be proud down there that's like a that's a top I don't know how many places beat that atmosphere um you know obviously there's some really good ones across the country but I'm impressed it was it was great yeah
1: and and uh ironically a guy we sat next to on Thursday night um got his master's degree from Ole Miss and he kind of gave us the lay of the land on like hey like South Carolina's top five in the SEC that he's been to. And, like, this is a guy who's been to Duty Nob. He's been to Swayze. He's been to Arkansas. He said he's trying to get down to the box. Um, Obviously, that's a lot of people's number one. um, But, you know, he was able to kind of give us a lay of the land. He's like, you're going to fall in love with this environment. And quite frankly, I mean, there's a part of me that obviously wishes we could have seen Paul Skeens go six or seven. The rain delay really affected that. Will Sanders looked sharp. Um, you know, and it wasn't exactly, I guess I could say like college baseball right now is kind of at a point where it's kind of sloppy brand of baseball, I guess, walking away from it. Um, like even the eight, seven game yesterday that we were lucky enough to be in attendance for didn't feel like a barn burning eight, seven game. It was kind of walk, hit by pitch, sloppy double base clearing, um, or in Gavin Dugas's case, a T- game tying grand slam late in that game, but, um, just entertaining, uh, the talent is through the roof across baseball. I mean, when you have guys like Ethan Petrie getting on campus, when you have, uh, you know, just the freshmen across the board on the other side of the ball, um, Gavin Gidry, um, and then the left-handed pitcher that you really liked, I'm drawing a blank on his name cause I got my dog crungling a bottle behind my ear. You're on mute. Griffin Herring. Yeah. Griffin Herring, Griffin Herring. Uh, so you got two, three freshmen right there that quite frankly, in history, don't make it to campus very often. Um, and just the talent is through the roof. So what are your initial you know, thoughts when we look at like, you know, what we were able to see talent wise between those two teams?
0: I have so many, I have so many thoughts. It was just like a, it was a, it was great. Like, it's sloppy, yes, and and I don't think Thursday was necessarily – it's tough, actually. The pitching side is wasn't I close saw game. Like the most – Right, and the pitching – like, it was LSU's pitching, right? Like, when they went to the pen after the delay, um, they had to reach a little bit deeper because they needed to cover – you know, the Skeen's only got nine outs, and then the delay hits, so they had to cover a bunch of innings there, and like – at one point, I think South Carolina had 10 runs on six hits. It's just like, oof, you know, it's hard to win against an offense and a team that good when that happens. But, I mean, it really good. I mean, I was about as impressed with South Carolina's offense and those top three hitters, man. Like, you put those top three hitters against any top three um, in a lineup in college baseball. I mean, that's what I think. Yeah. Makes South Carolina so dangerous moving forward and, and for the rest of this year and into the postseason is like having to face Wimmer, Casas, and and Petri. Like, whew, man, like they put the fear in you. Like they can all jump ship on any pitch. They're, they all have really good, um, plate discipline. Like they, they control the strike zone, um, really well. They didn't chase a lot. And like they, we've seen, um, Paul Skeens kind of like just dominate throughout the year, right? He's been dominating, and then like the reason we were so disappointed got taken out because it was like, okay, this is adversity. Like this is the first time. Like I know he had to kind of grind through some innings against Arkansas, but he was still in control. Like he only got into trouble in Arkansas when like because of himself. Like he was still dictating the at bats. He had lost his own for a couple hitters, and he got to a jam and he pitched right out of it. But like. Other than that, like even against Tennessee, like it was like he was kind of on cruise control and, you know, Petri goes deep off of him. Wimmer goes deep and it's just like they were they were clearly bought into an approach against him. It was impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean, just to to kind of give my perspective as like an outsider, but obviously who's just obsessed with hitting and things like that. When you talked about approach, it was it was almost impressive to the point. Now, I don't know the percentages. I don't know what Paul Skeen's fastball looks like. I don't know when he likes to use it. Obviously, it's 101. It's gas, but how you can kind of cater to getting good swings off of him, right, is kind of where my mind goes. Is like, okay, like what's the best way to do it? And I know we sat there and we had talked about it. Obviously, we only got three innings of Paul Skeen, so it would have been nice to get six. He didn't have command of his slider. At that point, the ability in the first inning to notice that Paul Skeens didn't have command of his slider. And for Monty Lee and down, who's obviously one of the best hitting guys in the country. He's back home in South Carolina where he made a name for himself building elite offenses. Guys like Petri, who is young. Guys like Wimmer, who obviously is a vet, you have young and old doing the same exact thing, so you know it was it was a communication thing. It was something that they had realized real quickly. Once they noticed that Skeens didn't have command of that slider, it was like we're on the go for a heater. I mean, the ball Petri hit out in the first inning was fastball extended in a 3-1 count. He went side left center on a fastball outer third 100 miles per hour to left center like you have to be on time understand your capabilities understand how he's going to attack you and be able to still execute and not swing through that pitch that's the most impressive thing and I don't remember exactly what the count was with Wimmer but he touched it it might have been a two strike account. But he he touched that ball. And that was really impressive to see that they had a game plan against the best starter in the league in the country. And they were able they were spitting on I mean, his sliders good. And you've seen this with guys that can dominate at that level, like flailing at bats on non competitive sliders that don't play at the next level. Well, they were spitting on good sliders. They were taking fastballs off the plate for balls, but it was Paul Skeen's ability to be the margins were thin so you could tell that they had an approach and they did not look phased by a hundred and one from the top guy and arguably the top pitcher across the country. Yeah. Well, and
0: I think that was the biggest issue in the first inning was like, um cause he kind of labored through it. He gave up the two run homer to Petri and it was like, he was missing. He was, you know, cause he's so good that it's not just a hundred miles an hour blow smoke. Like, you know, here I come. It's going to be down the middle, like Ben Joyce, like Joyce, Joyce is really good and he's gonna be really good and he's gonna get better as he commands it. Like Skeens picks corners and which is why he's a starter and yeah. why he pitches so deep into games. I mean he he's walked eight guys on the year. Like, but in that first inning, he was trying to pick his corners and he couldn't get there. So like they they had count leverage that whole really it felt like throughout the start, but especially in that first inning, because like then that slider that doesn't necessarily always need to be dialed in on the corners, like It just made that even easier because he's like, well, I'm not going to get frozen on a fastball because he's not picking corners on. Like we have, we're going to make him come to meet us, and to be able to say that it's so easy to sit here and say that when a guy is throwing 101 because it's not like his misses were huge. Still, like his misses, he was just missing in the first off the corners um, with the fastball, and like you said, like to be able to just like okay, spit slider, be able to control the zone, those those top guys in that order, and then ambush like you said, Petri on a hundred mile an hour fastball extend on 3-1 is like
1: that's impressive
0: like that's a good that was a great yeah. test for him because that's what it's going to be like as he continues to move up
1: yeah definitely and and it was crazy because we were sitting there talking about it and he got to Petri on it was one right and I remember sitting there and I said to you I was like hey like all over a heater, right? Because my whole theory with that is when I was in the college game was like, if a guy's got 100, he's going to use it. And at our level, right. it was more like, if a guy's got 90, he's going to use it, right? More times than not, those guys that have those big you know, gas tanks full of smoke, and they, they're going to turn around, and when they need it, they're just going to be like, all right, here it is. It, it, see how far you can hit it type mentality. And Petri ended up taking that 1-0, and it looked like it was – a similar pitch at least from our angle as the one he ended up hitting out and it was like but for him to still like whether that laid the foundation for his approach on the 3-1 pitch which is impressive for a young guy to kind of understand pitch by pitch what that meant um, that he's going to trust his fastball to one of the better hitters in the country you know in a, a hitter's count is impressive for him to still turn around and then take two competitive pitches and then be able to go, all right, three, one, we saw what he had. One Oh, I was kind of like 75, 25. No, now I'm a hundred percent on a heater. He's got a hundred in the tank. Let's turn it around. Let's get it to deep left center field and let's get the, let's get this, this park rocking. And then it was, it was a lot of fun. It was loud when he hit that. and, And unfortunately the rain delay kind of took all the, you know, all of that juice out of the game. You know, it took, Paul Skeens out of the game. It took obviously Will Sanders. But, you know, when I think about what Will Sanders was able to do and obviously that condensed outing, it was, I thought, Quite frankly, really impressive. Um, you know, he commanded the fastball to the inner half against a really good offense. He doesn't have the hundred that Paul Skeens has in the tank. He's not blowing smoke. He, but he did a very good job. He was pretty much ninety-two to ninety-four, and he just commanded the inner half. He had four strikeouts through three innings. This is a guy who you know had a lot of drop, draft helium coming into the year. I um, I don't want to say he's struggled completely i mean his numbers are not as good as you would expect for a first round pick um but strikeouts have been there walks haven't been absurd he's kind of just had some unlucky outings which in that part with how small it is you can completely understand but you know when you watched what will sanders was able to do through three innings of a really really good lineup you know what were your takeaways
0: yeah going into the like going into it um before we got there, it was thinking like, oh, we get to see, you know, two top of the orders that are legit. Um, and in that first game, South Carolina held Dugas, Morgan, Cruz, and Tommy White one for 11. That doesn't ha- – like how many times has that happened all year? And they're human. But, like, to get all four of them and keep them off balance is, like, just shows you how – like what a great job by – that pitching staff and, and it started with Sanders kind of setting a tone and you could tell like both games, like they were, they were not pitching around any of them. They were going after those guys no. and mm-hmm. they were trusting their fastball in. And Sanders has a legit breaking ball. I mean, that thing, that slider is legit. Uh, and fortunately we were able, I was able to see a little bit of track man data on it. Um, thanks to the scout sitting in front of in front of me and he had it up pulled up on his phone and he was getting it live time which was pretty sweet but um like that's a legit gyro slider uh, he it's tight it's hard to pick up and you could tell like he was getting swings and those jumpy takes on it where um you could tell they they just weren't seeing it uh, i think Trey Morgan had a pretty he had a pretty rough night um, just so like his approach didn't seem locked in. He almost seemed to surprise surprised. we've talked about it. I mean, you've mentioned it uh, more than I have. And you kind of pointed it out to me, like he side spins baseballs, like he needs to get his arms extended. And they just ate him up in. And there were a couple at bats, whether balls or strikes, you know, he didn't clearly think they were, but like, it was kind of just like, well, why aren't you going after that? Now he made an adjustment in the first inning on Friday. Um, but it was impressive. And same, like, again, like I know he, he isn't, Pumping the upper nines, which is what you know, so many guys are nowadays. That that's what's really attractive to a lot of big league clubs. But it, ninety-two to ninety-four plays still, and, and especially when you have a slider that's as good as his. And the thing that was impressive about it, which we've also talked about before, it's like he wasn't just getting swing and miss out of the zone; like he was throwing that thing in the zone. Um, the changeups yeah. kind of average. Like he doesn't kill enough spin. I don't think on it. Like he probably wants to, you know, you would want to see him kill him a little bit more spin, but, um, man, just that slider alone, like the, the, fastball command and then how good the slider is off of it makes him <laughs> like a, a, a really good pitcher. And that's why I was kind of surprised by his numbers is like, you, you know, you knew his numbers going in and then you see him and you're like, well, he's something doesn't add up. And, and he might've just been up for that, that offense. And he knew what a challenge he had. And, um, might've been just a little bit of the competitiveness in him, but it was, it was a good job, even though he only, you know, he only went what? Three and a
1: three,
0: three, three plus. Yeah. Right. So three you know, plus. You know, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It would have been nice. I mean, that game was like, I would imagine Paul Skeens would have definitely settled in. I mean, yeah. one of the things that's was kind of absurd. Too. Yeah. What it's absurd to think about is Paul Skeens through three innings. He gave up two hits, no walks and eight strikeouts, but Two of those runs, one was on the Wimmer home run, and one was on the Petry home run. Well, and one of and those, the Petry was a two-run homer. was unearned. Yeah, it was unearned. One of the runs was so yeah. um, he only, he only got tagged for two hits through that whole thing. But you know that's kind of the epitome of South Carolina's offense on the whole, which we we can talk about. You know, we can kind of circle back on that because that was something that you pointed out um, when we were about in the, halfway through the. Uh, game one but you know in terms of will sanders and i was impressed with the pitching on the whole i know they ended up not closing out game two which would have just been massive for this south carolina team i think i'm sure lsu is walking away from this series feeling just absolutely elated over being able to get a split because they got outplayed they got outpitched i mean Ty Floyd. The next day, did not look sharp. Uh, that lineup did not look sharp. Um, you know, on the whole, but they got some important knocks there. I came away from there. I think LSU's the better team. I think LSU's the team that's more likely to win a national championship from these two teams, but I was more impressed with what South Carolina was able to do and a lot of that has to do with their pitching staff. I mean, James Hicks came out and and he was basically put out fires, right? Like He he came in after a rain delay and that's like the worst case scenario for South Carolina. You have your Friday guy. I know LSU doesn't want to burn Paul Skeens that quick, but imagine having your Friday night guy who looks sharp and you have a 3-1 lead against the best team in the country and the best lineup in the country. Who are you going to? How are you approaching this what is the best case scenario for you well getting a guy to come out and give you four strong innings that you know on the stat sheet don't look great but from being there it was one Jordan Thompson home run away from being a quite amazing outing he would have just been just dominated for four innings um and just had a really good outing there so you know what was impressive on the whole obviously uh we had Veach on Saturday who came out throwing what must have been a split finger that had Dylan Cruz looking lost uh, so I've on been the whole looking of lost. the pitching set. Yeah. On the whole of the pitching staff outside of Sanders, what, what kind of impressed you a lot with, with this group?
0: I think just their ability to mix and kind of um, get outs. Like Kate Austin is really the only one who kind of didn't have a good day. And that was just losing the zone. And that's what had, like, the reason that South Carolina was in control for the first, you know, like 17 innings of this series or 16 innings of this series was the fact that LSU was putting their all, like guys on and then Carolina was jumping ship or coming through. I mean, in, in that second game, Ty Floyd, right, puts three runners on, four runners on, and then or whatever it was, and then gives up one hit. And Carolina yeah. has four runs on mm-hmm. one hit on a double down the line. And it was like, well, gee, like you're down four nothing now after getting kind of Dog walked a little bit in game one, and you've only given up one hit. Like, and, and that's what Carolina hadn't done. They weren't giving out free passes to a dangerous lineup, and that's why they were in control. And then Kate Austin comes out and obviously does in that eighth inning, which we can get into. But yeah, I mean, Veach's is, is his split was so good, and he danced around some free bases in his three innings. Um, but Mahoney comes out and like just attacking in attacking him with his fastball and setting up the other stuff flashed a good changeup, good breaking ball and it's just like wow like they're doing a really good job and they had Dylan Cruz looking human which he is a human so obviously he's going to have some some struggles and he's not going to be at his, his best every night but no one else to this point in the season over halfway through had been able to do it and South Carolina's pitching no. staff did now you know being at home I think helped them because again the energy in that place was awesome and you know that matters a lot in baseball, and and moment, baseball is such a momentum sport. So it, it was impressive, but those guys, uh, like you said, uh, you know James Hicks coming in and and doing a great job um, outside of the Thompson Homer, and, and they were impressive. And I think to me, it was just their ability to mix and, and attack. Like they didn't, they weren't scared of anyone in this lineup. And honestly, being like I wouldn't be like I would be careful, especially with two through four in this lineup. And they got the better of two through four. Like Jordan Thompson and Gavin Dugas won them that game on, on, on Friday.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, they did. And and Tommy White had the big home run. And obviously it was just to kind of get them on the board because like, I mean, sleepy sleepy Sunday is usually the, the phrase. I know we had a rain delay on Thursday, quick turnaround on Friday. And LSU just looked like they were just like, Whether it was the effective pitching of Jack Mahoney and then obviously Veach came in, like when Dugas hit the grand slam, and we're going to get into that inning and that offense and what they kind of turned around there. But you know, like that almost caught me off guard because it was just so convincingly South Carolina controlling everything. Then they gave up the grand slam, and then it was like flipped on a dime. LSU just Shocker, free pass turns into a run, free pass and a pass ball, um, turn into a base knock, game over, 8 7. LSU walks away with a win there. So, um, really impressed with, with just the whole of the South Carolina team. Like I said, I don't think it is necessarily, um, necessarily the more likely to win a national championship out of these two teams i was very impressed with what lsu had on the talent side of things you know like you they definitely are more likely to wow you on a you know oh this guy's good oh this guy's good oh this guy can really compete this guy's got elite stuff this guy does this really well um, from the group but uh, South Carolina looked like the better ball club this weekend and and like I said I'm sure they're absolutely kicking themselves for for walking away with a with a series split cuz they they really should have walked away with a 2-0 series victory.
0: Yeah, I mean they jumped them on Thursday night in front of that electric atmosphere even with the lightning delay. Um they didn't lose any of the momentum. Um they they, they kind of kicked their butt, and if anyone wants to know how competitive Paul Skeens was, we saw him on. We rode the elevator with him on Thursday night, and like he was he was bummed. Like you could tell, like that group, yeah. like and everybody kind of feels that way. It's natural. We've been on on road trips with teams, and you don't you know they don't feel great after a loss, and but like they they were like kind of hurting. That was a quiet entrance to a hotel from from a group that big, and um, like I said, we we got on the elevator with skeins and he didn't even pick his head up um uh, and like so it was just like they you you kind of knew like okay south carolina has them they got to be back at the ballpark for a noon start they come out they they go up the four in the second on one hit it was just like you know friday we were above the lsu bullpen and that was like a it was like a cemetery down there mm-hmm. like, there was not like there was a lot of unhappy words ter- like bad body language it was quiet and then um south carolina was in control and, and lsu gets back into it with the the thompson home run to make it four three and south carolina answers with three uh three more and it's a seven three game and you're like wow like this is impressive because everyone kind of knew the weather it was like this is going to be the last game of the series and south carolina's going to win both and then um that's what makes lsu so good and a, cha- a, a legit championship contender and quite possibly the favorite <laughs> They they played 16 innings of baseball where they just kind of hadn't shown up and they didn't look good. And then, you know, they they take advantage of the opportunities. You can't give them free bases. I mean, this is not rocket mm-hmm. science, but a leadoff walk, a wild pitch, another walk, um, a pinch hit single, and then a grand slam. And it's just like series flipped.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and like you mentioned, we were sitting over the LSU's bullpen and good friend of the pod, Leah Van, had posted this. Um, I don't know if it was at some point yesterday. I'm looking for it, but as a collective group, they are pitching to a 7.16. Um, so you're getting a good idea of what that bullpen is right now. Um, and, I mean, the vibes down there, like obviously it felt like more tense than anything yeah um Gidry definitely wanted the ball um that was when like when ball just just different in different ways it was
0: it was different way like yeah you could tell like Herring Herring was kind of a little bit I mean you kept saying he was he was a mope uh you could tell but that again he's young
1: he's a classic freshman who's had 45 minutes to warm up his whole life
0: right yeah yeah I knew when he was exactly when he was going to come into a game but Gidry Dugas hits the home run and Gidry gets up and like you knew that game was kind of over. He's a psychopath a little bit. Like his mouth was foaming from the time like that ball left the yard. Like he was he was his gum that he was chewing turned into powder. He was chomping on Mm -hmm. that thing so bad you could just tell right away it was like oh this game's kind of over. Like one just what a blow to South Carolina because like I said through the first sixteen innings they had dominated and then then Gidry came out and like he wanted it. Like, you know, he he knew what his job was. And that's kind of what the DNA of a championship team can be is like at any point they can just flip a game. And like it's not like South yeah. Carolina is like South Carolina is a really good team. And when you see a really good team like South Carolina kind of have their foot on the throat of a, a, a team for 16 innings, it's hard to get up off the mat. But LSU did it so it happened so quick. It was kind of like. Everyone in the stadium was was shocked. Like I was like, oh, yes. like yeah, you know the the free bases, but like they had yet to get. And then here comes Gavin Dugas, who might be one of the clutchest players in the country. Um, seems like every mm-hmm. time he jumps ship, it's a huge home run. Um, and it, it was is, a wall scraper, yep. but <laughs> hey, man, put barrel to ball, and, and good things happen.
1: Yeah, he wears that eight for a reason. He's the leader right. of that group. Um, you know, in name value. He might not be the most well known guy across right. the country, but. Um, he's captain for a reason, and and that that number eight's a big deal around there. Um, and just you know, let's talk about LSU a little bit. I mean, you mentioned a couple times. We have both mentioned a couple times. Dylan Cruz just looked human. Um, that's the first time that I've seen him. Not lost. I, I lost is is a stretch, um, but. Fifty-fifty, right? Just Start chasing down. pitches that he doesn't really chase on Sat on Thursday night. The game looked so slow to him, like yeah. even when he wasn't getting on, getting his knocks, like it was like he was like not on his heels in the box, but you know what I mean, like just comfy, like that th- that uh, rectangular uh, box that he stands in is not an uncomfortable environment for him. Saturday, it started to seem like things started to speed up on him a little bit. He started chasing some split fingers down uh, and just everything um, that kind of led to a couple two punch outs and, and three at bats. And he did draw a big walk for the winning run in the ninth inning, generous walk, uh, at least from our view um, in center field, that, that the umpire got a little tight there. Um, but, you know, when you look at this lineup, I think on the whole, they're going to be really good. Um, when it matters. Um, but again, I, I think there's more credit to be had for o- – outside of Jordan Thompson, there's credit to be had for South Carolina's pitching and what their lineup was able to showcase a lot more than the the value in the names of the guys on the LSU side of things.
0: Yeah, like I thought – I mean, Cruz, you could tell, like I think, um, like you said, being 50-50 on Saturday. Like it was just – It was kind of something we hadn't seen yet, right? You usually see him even when he's not collecting hits sometimes or like he's getting A swings off like in every at-bat. It's like you see him on time for a pitch and and that's what he does. And this weekend it was like those were few and far between and when he did he missed them, right? He fouled them off. And so it was just weird to see that. And then um, he kind of started to get a little bit like hard on top almost where he was kind of – Steep and beating balls into the ground, even when he was fouling them off. And it was just weird because he looked jumpy. Like you said on Thursday, the first couple at bats, and they were crowding him in. I mean, they hit him, he got hit by a pitch in in his first at bat in both games, and they were not afraid to continue to go in there and execute. Um, The guy who kind of looked the worst out of that big group was Trey Morgan. you know, he made the nice adjustment in his first, but then he had a couple other at-bats where it, it was almost like so like pitch selection was interesting for him and and kind of mm-hmm. not as aggressive as you normally see him or what you would expect from a player of his caliber where it's just like, because I really, really like Trey Morgan and I think he's a really good player. Um, and, you know, they had him playing in left field to start both these games. And yeah, you know, we've seen just him mostly a phenomenal at first and he made work, really good play in phenomenal. left in game two. Yeah. Um, and like, so it, it's just... He wasn't as aggressive as you would think um, or in control this weekend. And and like you said, that's not necessarily a knock on that lineup because they're going to be really good, and they have been. It was just like a a really good job by uh, the South Carolina pitching staff. And I know like the box scores still aren't – like you go through here and you would expect, you know, the way we're talking about it, to like look and see, you know, like great numbers. And the box scores aren't that impressive, but um, watching it in person, it kind of – you know, the game told a different story.
1: Yeah. And, and I think the saddest part about it all is I, I guarantee if they would have played game three, I think LSU wins like yes. the, the momentum, yeah, the momentum shift swing of, on that homer, yeah, yeah. giving up the home run. is just tough. Like that team should have, should have won game two. Um, again, Gavin Dugas, he's been in college baseball for multiple years now. Um, great baseball player, great representative of what the, what LSU is all about. Um, and just being able to have a guy of that caliber to hit to have the big home run and then Cade Beloso comes in and and obviously he's a guy who's been around the block a time or two and and he goes base knock up the middle to drive uh, Dylan Cruz in so that's what that's what they can do to you especially when you give away free bases and, and give them an opportunity but you know I think on the whole I think LSUs definitely got to figure out their their rotation I don't think that's the typhoid we see the rest of the year I don't think because it's not the typhoid that we've seen up to this point so there's no reason to believe but he definitely got uh hit four walks and three hip adders in three innings that's what
0: it was and that's he kind was, of what that's what the, was happened to the, the bullpen like they the game one got out of hand because the bullpen came in and it was free bases and then ty floyd starts that game and it's funny because uh, you know if you've been around college baseball you've been there enough we're like you have a game like that where the bullpen kind of blows up and it's a bunch of free bases. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily like they're getting hit around and you're like, all right, well we got a veteran, like we got a guy that we really trust that going to the mound. Like he he'll, you know, he'll put an end to it. Like good. And then he goes out there and does the same thing. And you're like, he hasn't done this all year. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is, what is going on? What are we doing? Like, you know, and I'm sure Wes Johnson was probably pretty frustrated and, um, but yeah, you don't expect to see Ty Floyd do that. And there's some pieces in that bullpen. I mean, yeah, so it's it's interesting to see that through the uh, SEC play, they're pitching to to a seven because you know, like I thought, Riley Cooper looked good. He only got one guy, Griffin Herring. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of Guidry. We talked about now. You know, I know I love Chase Shores, but he's dealing with something. He's injured. He didn't even you know pick up a baseball this weekend, so that's kind of worrisome. But you know i think they'll straighten that out and you know obviously the starting pitching is good enough
1: yeah and and i mean it i don't know like i thought you want to talk about like i get college baseball is different um than professional baseball in how you deploy a bullpen mm-hmm. but i feel like the reason their bullpen gave up so many runs i mean you look at their stats on the guys of the year like and again when you're down 3-1 what are you supposed to do? but Gavin Gidry's had 18 outings this year. He's pitching to a 1.42. Like, unless, no, he has not. He's had six appearances off the mound. I guess he must be playing some two-way, so he must be getting some at-bats there. But he's got 12 strikeouts in six innings with a 1.42. You've got Griffin Herring, who has eight appearances with a 0. .75 ERA with 14 strikeouts in 12 innings. You have Nate Alkin. Akenhausen, who has six outings out of the pen with thirteen strikeouts and eleven point two with a one point five four. Like there are guys with fractions of ERAs, and I know you've had to move Christian Little into the starting rotation for the weekend. I know Thatcher Hurd has been kind of a roller coaster, and he's hasn't had exactly the best command of the strike zone. Um, but like you have the arms that if you really wanted to deploy them in. You know, and I know the balance of keeping these young guys like Gidry and Herring healthy, because we just saw Garrett Edwards, who's pitching to a 1.93 on the year, potentially blow out, yeah, is obviously the the tough balance of this. But, like, the stuff is not the problem. You just have guys with massive ERAs that are pitching high leverage in it.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. And, and um, I think kind of what they're built on right and what they kind of are trying to do is is their starters are going to carry a a bulk of the workload and they're going to pitch deep into games and they have the guys who have the ability to do it and then it back-to-back games it doesn't happen and that's now you're asking for a little more um out of those guys and and you know freshmen are like college baseball relievers are volatile and and you know they're not that consistent week to week and then when you talk about freshmen it's even more so but, like, Griffin Herring showed me – like, the reason I'm so high on him is he – you know, Edwards blows out and its bases loaded, no outs, and he comes in, he gets a double play and, and then uh, a fly out. And it's like, whoa, like, that's a yeah. great job. Or I think he got a strikeout. Um, but whatever. And then he ends up settling in and getting, you know, a couple more outs. And it was just like, that's a great job. Like, that's as best as you could have done in that situation. And um, But you never know. Next weekend you could try and bring him in a situation similar and he's not going to have command of the zone. So – um. It's interesting, it's tough, but like you said, it's not like anybody down there is lacking stuff. I mean, they they play for LSU for crying out loud.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and who knows, maybe Thatcher Heard transitions into a bullpen role during the weekend just to kind of get that that length yeah. with stuff potential, but I don't know. He was definitely working on some stuff down there in the bullpen. He was obviously they're moving Christian little into the the three slot on weekends and, and thatcher Hurd's going to be probably either midweek guy or, or even bullpen arm. And, you know, he could be really good. He's the type of guy that like we hear that. I mean, time and time again, I mean, we looked at Ole Miss, obviously turning it around late in their late in their season um, last year and rolling all the way to the college world series and an eventual national championship. But you know, we see it all the time in college baseball. It just takes time to figure out these roles. It takes time to figure out what guys are going to do best in in different opportunities. It takes, you know, it just takes time to structure that. Like Gavin Gidry, he's got twelve games as a hitter. Like after what we saw this weekend, with twelve strikeouts and six and a third, he never needs to and touch, a a two, he's touch a bat. he's not going to touch a bat. The rest of the year, he might in the future. I don't know. I don't know if that's something that Jay Johnson is interested in, but he is going to pitch out of the pen for them because they need him. That's the best way for them to win. You know, he's a middle infield guy. They got two pretty good players in in (laughs) Dugas and Thompson that are going to stick up the middle. So, um, and it's not like you're moving them to third because Tommy White's there. So, um, they will start to figure out these roles. And who knows? Thatcher Hurd is the guy, like, I mean, Dan, how many times late in the season have you been sitting there and you hear hitters like, because ever, every coach tapes the stats on on the wall and he's got a 6.3 ERA. Yeah, like, this yeah. guy stinks. Why and then can't he comes out and punches out six right. in three innings. And you're like, oh gosh,
0: that's hey, Thatcher Hurd. Like, stuff. Thatcher
1: Hurd. Yeah, Thatcher Hurd's going to have like a 5 2, and they're going to be in a super regional, and he's going to come out of the pen. And he, everybody knows who Thatcher Hurd is, so it's not like it's going to be. Um, uh that's the no name guy from the from uh from the D three school that you're playing, but um, you know, he's gonna come out and he's gonna be more than capable of dominating. I mean he just I mean, nineteen walks and twenty four innings isn't gonna cut it. Ty Floyd has is second in the team in walks with fourteen and thirty four, but um a lot of those definitely came or a couple of those came this weekend and, and he I and mean he still has really a- good numbers for a guy who who really blew up this weekend.
0: And that's really what's gonna beat them if anything does down the road, is just the fact that they're gonna give out too many free bases and when you play an offense as good as South Carolina's and then this weekend when you're playing an offense as good as South Carolina at their place where it's a bandbox and the wind's constantly blowing out, <laughs> we put two guys on and I mean we three run homers win in the playoffs. Um Do you yeah, have any yeah. other like just small observations
1: that we have to go in depth on?
0: 'Cause I have I have just no, one. I like, mean Jay Johnson argues a lot.
1: Yeah, he he does talk. He talks oh, oh no, I he do. He comes out I of the dugout more. a lot. Yeah. And forty six is oh, yeah. my end point. College baseball strike zones need to be bigger. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about this a lot. That is why like I'm not saying that our pitchers at this level are precise to the point of commanding into a soda can. I mean, guys at the big league level are not but there are way too many competitive pitches that are called balls. And then there's way too many like borderline pitches that hitters argue with. Like I get it. You want to get the, the cleanest version of baseball, but the strike zones are way too small. We need to start giving a ball off on each corner and maybe a little bit higher. I mean, talking about like, borderline calls that are just like ball 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 and we wonder why these guys who are freaking amateurs i know they might get an nil deal from either of these schools but at the end of the day they're amateurs like they're not big leaguers guys struggle to throw strikes in a ball and double a where the strike zones are a little bigger than the mlb like we don't have to have perfect strike zones that are based off of the track man data
0: well and and um just to follow up really quick, is like you, you also, you know, we also talked about because we were talking about that a lot. Was uh, they swing with metal bats too. Like, you yeah, Petri, Petri didn't wall scrape that three run homer that was 100 miles an hour off the plate at three one. Like, the ball was crushed up onto the concourse and left center over the bullpen. They have metal sticks in their hand that you know, the hitters are getting so good at that level that like, you know, you could expand the zone a little bit um my other just quick observation is um both teams two strikes their shifting of outfielders um was pretty interesting yes um, yes you know they they would the they would pinch the gap side uh with two strikes um every at bat it seemed like yeah uh, give the was, line yeah gave up the line with two strikes i don't know you know we were talking about it a little bit like what the um Reasoning behind it was, you know, they what information they have that they're doing that. Whether it's how they're going to pitch guys with two strikes, or that you know they must have data that you know a lot of these guys are going to stay towards the middle of the field with two strikes. Um, I don't know, but I mean, it it's makes sense. every time. Yeah, it does. I'm just saying it was it was interesting to see that every time the outfielders with two strikes um, pull side pinch the gap.
1: Yep, and and it, it like as I thought about it. I think at lower levels where me and you are at, maybe that's not the route. Um, right. But I think at that level, when you have guys that are mid to upper 90s, yeah. the odds of you bug whipping a ball down the line with two strikes, let alone, <laughs> you know, most guys kind of have a tendency to, not many people pitch fastball in, which again, you're not getting a fastball in down the line unless you're just a really good baseball player um, you're more likely to fight that off and so even if you go competitive fastball in, you're not doing it it's the backup sliders the only chance that you have to go side down the line and every guy you're right every guy two strikes shifted and only
0: in the outfield right because like, even you know they were going um over on on a lot of those guys on the infield and they would stay in that with two strikes but the side outfielder would pinch so it was just it was interesting
1: yeah, no, that's a, that a good one. That was a good one. So, um, any last thoughts um, other than the fact that Paul Skeens is a massive human? Well, that's being. what. So, so that's what um, I was.
0: Okay, so that's this is my last one. Like, I know you. Like, you know, there's times in life where you know things just because it's general knowledge, like how big Division One baseball players are at that level, how well put together they are as athletes, and then you walk amongst them and look. You and I are two mid-Atlantic Italian guys who are, like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not intimidating to anyone, you know, D1 athlete or not, but walking the hallways with the LSU players, getting on an elevator with Paul Skeen, I didn't think the three of us were going to fit. We somehow got, like, five people on that elevator. Like, I don't know how, because I didn't think the three of us were going to fit. You mean – I mean, Paul Skeens is huge. And then I almost, looking at my phone, bump into Dylan Cruz and, like, you – you don't look that big on the field. Like you look good in a Mm-mm. uniform, but you don't look as big as you were when I was standing right next to you, walking past you. Like they're huge. <laughs> they're huge. Yeah. Every they're huge. single one of them are huge. huge. Like that's one of my other ones. Yeah. It's just like you know I, I watch Trey Morgan on TV a lot. His lower half is massive.
1: Massive. <laughs> massive. Massive. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt that. Um, yeah, and and I feel like we should. We should give credit where credit's due. So, for anybody who doesn't know, um, we're standing on the elevator. We walk up around the corner <laughs> um, and the button's already been hit. And then I look to my right and I'm, oh, Paul Skeens, cool. Look like, to your right like, and up. And walks. Yeah, and up. Exactly. Um, and. Dan walks up to make sure the button was hit and I'm like the reality set in that like we're about to hop in the elevator with Paul Skeens and again he had taken the loss in that game so it wasn't like we were going to be like hey man want to come on the pod whereas if Paul Skeens (laughs) if you do hear this and you do want to come in the pod we are the the two fellows that were in the elevator with you anytime any place you want us to come down to Baton Rouge as long as you give us a tour of the baseball facilities I'm in I'll buy a flight Um, I'll go broke Brian a flight out there Um, but so then a guy comes around the corner. So obviously Augusta National, the Masters, is going this weekend. He's carrying some, some you know, Masters uh, gear. Gear. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. And looks at Dan and I <laughs> and goes, did you guys win? And Dan and I, obviously, we take our compliments when compliments are handed out. We have no problem cutting a guy off and saying, "No, I do not play baseball for LSU." But credit you for thinking this six foot six behemoth next to me is is the same our level teammate. of athlete as I am. Yeah, our teammate. Um, so af- as the awkward silence kind of, you could cut like a butter knife in the in, in the elevator because Paul Skeens was not having his best night of of the history and I decided to cut in and just go, uh, and pointed <laughs> at the big man <laughs> because I don't know how to, an- like I knew the answer to the question, but I wasn't going to be like, no, they didn't then end up getting <laughs> like, squeezed to death by paul Skeens <laughs> in an elevator um so i just decided to let him answer and and then i i don't know you thought the guy thought we played for south carolina at that point well, he was point, like or, we can take we were, them
0: i it was yeah, first of like, we could like take people them. this is what i'm like elevator interactions don't need to happen you're not on there for that long if like, that's the other reason I, I wasn't gonna like you don't need to like you don't need to talk to people in the elevator like I'm on this thing for 30 seconds. We can just stand there in silence. Why this guy like and friendly. And I appreciate that. And that's the Southern thing, but like elevators are, which made it awkward is because we're on this elevator. So like it was, it did, wasn't a question in passing where like everyone could play it off. Like we're in this box together for like, we're, we're going on the ride up the, up the floor. So we kind of had to engage in the, in the um, interaction. And, and then he's like, he looks at Paul Skeens and he's like, Oh, come on, look at these guys. We can take them. And we were just like, "What?" Like, Paul Skeens kind of looked at us, like, "What is this guy talking about?" And me and you, I was just like, oh, "Yeah, you could." Like, "I don't." What do you mean? It's- and it was just kind of like, "We don't play baseball." <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. If you think we were the ones who beat them, but uh, yeah, we don't. We don't play. Um, yes. Yeah. This I mean, if he much genuinely wanted the to- two of us.
1: yeah. If he genuinely wanted to see Paul Skeens take us like i would let paul Skeens get to 60 feet and i guarantee i wouldn't touch a ball in 47 at bats like he could be at 80 percent, and like i'll I'll grab a stick I'll, I'll go grab dylan cruz's bat and i'll just tell him like dude don't worry i'm not going to take any pop out of your bat because i'm not touching him like if that guy was really that intrigued no shot no shot and, and i wouldn't hope this doesn't it. come across it.
0: as one of those you had to be there uh stories but like it was just one of those things where me and you got off the elevator and we were just like what just happened
1: what just Why
0: did that guy why did that guy just go? Like, not to mention that Paul Skeens was still in like half in uniform and wearing, you know, wearing shorts and t shirts.
1: Yeah, he was carrying his bag. He was carrying yeah, his bag. Yeah, like with, with his, his, his glove his in his hand. Like it was yeah. so obvious that and again, I've been in a in a hotel with baseball players ample amounts of times. I know what they look like. But like even from an outsider, so it's obviously hard for me to say, like, as an outsider, you don't know the difference, but like even as an outsider like dude these dudes look like they just came back from from like a di- nice dinner at a brewery and these other dudes are like looks like we just played came from a baseball a game. game yeah right so it was uh it was a fun interaction i hope when when the backside ground balls is covering major league baseball in a couple of years um we're able to interact with paul Skeens to the point of uh him remembering that uh, we were uh, on the elevator with him um, Fat chance, at that point in time, but we can we can remind him. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to remember, but we will remind him when we are covering Major League Baseball to yeah. the extent that we will be at that point in time. So, um, just some other series. Obviously, this, we're recording this on Saturday. We'd like to spend our Sunday with our with our loved ones. So, uh, knocking this out of the way. Um, Tennessee is. Doing the same thing that they've been doing all year. Um, looking good at times. They're up big on Saturday as we record. Um, I believe still, yeah, they're up 8 nothing on eight Florida. Nothing. So it looks like they're going to scrape one across uh, from the series. But um, they lost another series. They've had a tough go. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It would not surprise me if that's a team that come June were like, dang, this team got did, hot. Uh, why we didn't we see, it all see the this time. coming? Yeah. Yeah, so we're we're putting it out into the into the sphere of of knowledge that like Hey, just don't forget, Tennessee's really talented and their pitching staff is really good. So uh, when they do, uh, turn it around there. Um, Wake and NC State, which was a series we were going to look out for, obviously with the weather being what it is in the in the Raleigh area, um, they're not going to play, which actually, I mean, if we really wanted to spend our, our Easter in fun way, we could go up for the doubleheader up at, up at NC State. Um, but the weather does Sounds not good. look good tomorrow there. either. So, um, yeah, get you out of the house. We need that. Um, Louisville ended up sweeping Boston college, which stinks because obviously Boston college was a, was fan favorite for the year. They're playing really good baseball up to this point. Um, and just being able not being able to get that series win against them is, is unfortunate. Uh, Ole Miss did, did have a really good win last night against Arkansas. They they went down big on in game one on Friday. It looks like they played a double header. They ended up losing eleven to two, um, but they ended up winning game two seven four. And that's obviously a club. They they were sitting at that point at what one and nine in conference play. Win the eleven to two loss, yes, one and eight yes. in conference play, one, one, and, one nine, and nine, I one think. and nine. So ten games through, um, and obviously that's not what you expect from from the uh, the rebels of Ole Miss. Um, so, but really on the whole, the baseball this weekend isn't. It's not knock your socks off good. I know shocker hear this we dan won't be surprised but maryland has started off a big 10 play which is absolutely on fire matt shaw has taken over um, and he's raking so that's a club that obviously they challenge themselves through the whole year um and they're they're really gonna have to win the big 10 to really get a chance i don't think they're gonna get an at-large if they don't really get on a heater here but um they ended up taking game one against Rutgers. so um that's a good club and they obviously took two out of three against iowa last weekend who's a club that we've we've obviously talked about so um that's a team that dan and i were really high on so it doesn't come as a huge surprise to us um that they're playing good baseball but it's good to see that it, they are uh, turning around after really really pushing themselves and challenging themselves through the year so um dan any as we look through the scores obviously we have virginia and miami any things that stand out to you
0: um, yeah, you know, Virginia's Virginia's really good. Um, we should probably talk about them a little more. Um, I know we've mentioned them several times, but they kind of are starting to play like they deserve uh, a whole episode. Um, Missouri's tough at home. Like, Missouri's really good yeah. at, in Columbia. I mean, they're they're in a in a rubber match with Vanderbilt, and like that's a really good team. Uh, yeah, the Tennessee thing. I mean, Florida's loaded. Um, top of the SEC yeah. is so good. We all knew that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 getting interesting. We're through the halfway point here and, and uh some teams are, are are kind of separating themselves and uh like I said, I, I think Virginia needs to be in that conversation. That's the biggest thing for me.
1: Well, in Virginia, I mean, they, we kind of got some wind out of their sails because they ended up, we mentioned the series that like the, the high variance Virginia tech team. Well, guess what? I remember seeing it and we hadn't had an episode since we talked about it because obviously we were focused on getting down to Columbia with MLB opening day, but, um, well, that high variance Virginia Tech team ended up winning that series um, yeah. in convincing fashion. So that kind of took a little bit of wind out of the Virginia sails. The Cavaliers sails were obviously they were playing great baseball up to that point. Um, but definitely with them getting back on track against against Miami, who obviously Miami's a team that um, we've seen be challenged a couple of times and just being able to. Um, you know, take a series from from a solid team. I mean, they're tied in the top of the first right now up uh, in Charlottesville, but um, it's a pretty good baseball club there, and and will be interesting to see. But uh, we'll definitely get an episode this week, probably dropping on um probably no, this might be our episode this week. So um, keep an eye out. Maybe we'll do some shorter content on just previewing the weekend ahead. Uh, make sure we get a, get an eye on some, some pretty solid series, obviously being in the peak of sec play and ACC play, you got to keep an eye out for some really good series. We have uh, Kentucky who's been playing great baseball, going to LSU, wake forest, going to Louisville, which will be a fun one. Miami's coming up to our neck of the woods to, to face North Carolina. Uh, Just looking across here, West Virginia is going to Oklahoma state. West Virginia has a, has had a great start to the year and then South Carolina heads to Vanderbilt, which obviously will be something we'll be watching. Tennessee shocker. Tell me if you've heard this before, they're playing against a top 10 team in the country as they travel (laughs) to Arkansas and then Stanford and Oregon do battle it out up in Eugene. So uh, lots of good baseball next weekend. So definitely keep an eye out for our coverage and we'll be on the social channels uh, posting as much as we got. So Dan, before we get out of here any closing thoughts
0: no it's been it's been awesome to cover and and get out and see some of these teams and it's going to continue to be that way and uh, i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but i can't wait for me and you to be at a regional be awesome
1: oh definitely definitely and obviously if, if go camels baseball can can keep rolling we might get a good shot of uh Of getting up, getting in our neck of the woods. But obviously with the environment that was in South Carolina, you're not going to hear me complain about spending a June weekend in South in Columbia, South Carolina um, or late May weekend um, or, or quite frankly, Wake Forest. Um, any of those teams that if they, you told me they were hosting, even Virginia, I wouldn't mind getting up to Virginia, up to Charlottesville and, and watching some solid baseball up there. So um, we're definitely going to be at a regional. We're going to keep trying to get to as many games as possible. I know Coastal Carolina travels to Bowies Creek, North Carolina for a Monday, Tuesday uh night night series so um that'll be some good baseball to watch um so keep an eye out for that one i might be getting over there and and getting some live looks on some two solid baseball top 20 baseball teams so uh but until next time we'll see you guys on the next podcast